Hello everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what makes them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me as always is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We're back. We're back indeed. How's things? Things pretty good. Things are things are good, you know. Just uh I made my uh my goal with Apex to to complete the the event challenge and get that sweet, sweet shotgun skin. Can't really hate on that, but also most importantly, I've finished all the season crap for that game and now. <laughs> This event that popped up and um i will say the event is nostalgic they have run it back to the original two maps and okay. when i played the game there was only one map Same. when i was on pc we were waiting and waiting for a second map to drop and so get, going back to the original version of the king's canyon map is extra nostalgic for me just because it brings me back to playing with max and the reason yeah. i started playing that game in the first place um so it's a little bittersweet but it is also sweet and uh, and it's been fun it's been fun so you know doing some of that mixing it up with some other games. But in the next uh, few weeks, I'm actually really looking forward to uh, to mixing up my gameplay a little bit more, seeing as I have uh, no arbitrarily imposed goals from Respawn mm-hmm. Entertainment. And that's a good thing. How about you? How's things going on your end? Oh, just fine. Uh, a little jealous of your, your lingering daylight there coming in your window. Yeah, and your, the two your hours. Zone. You're further north than me. You technically have probably like five more minutes in the day than I do at this point. Ah, well, <laughs> I'll trade you. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. I know. It doesn't work that way, sadly. I mean, no. once we hit equinox, then I think, you know, on the back end of this in winter, you, you uh, again, it's not that far north, you know, right. the most extreme, it's still less than an hour of difference. It's not like Canada or like Denmark or something where, mm-hmm. you know. So with this apex season, was it grueling in a way? Did it, did it uh, compel you to play more than you normally would, or did it fit within it compelled me to continue playing more than I would have for where I'm at with Apex. Because mm-hmm. I'm now in a really good spot where I'm like, you know what? I don't I don't need to like fucking grind this out constantly. I'm, I'll have good games. I'll have bad games. I'll slowly get a little bit better. Um, but I'm no longer feeling like driven to prove something to myself or something. Mm-hmm. Um and like, I'm never going to be a sweaty tryhard, uh, but uh, but that's as like sweaty as I get is when I'm like really trying to push myself to um, get to my kind of my skill level to, to achieve something I'm capable of. Um, and like a third of the way into the season, I got there and then I'm like, shit, I really want to, you know, you can pay for a season once and then you get their bullshit currency where you can buy the next season pass. Mm-hmm. And that is the vicious cycle. And of course you can spend that currency on all kinds of other random skins. Right. And um, but, um, but I have no intention of ever really like they make plenty of money on this game. I'm not supporting some small indie project. They're, they're owned by EA, right? Whatever. Right. So I will want to like complete my seasons. And in the future, if that comes down to like, in the last couple of weeks being like, Oh shit, I got to make up some points. That's going to be fine. But this time, you know, I was pushing pretty hard early on and then it was like, Oh, you know what? I can, I can just continue pushing and I can have weeks on the back end of this where if I want to drop into play apex, it does not need to be daily. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I I've, I've got this one banked and I feel good about that. I'm glad about that. But yeah, about, about a third of the way in about, I guess it's like three weeks in or a month in or something. I was like, 
I'm in a good spot with this game. I don't feel as driven to play it, except that I want to finish up this arbitrary like goal that, that they've put in place, uh, semi-arbitrary, quasi-arbitrary goal. So, you yeah. know, I'll have a couple of more uh, legends to unlock before the next season when they will presumably drop another legend. Um, but I'm in no rush. It's cool. Nice. Yeah, so, I look yeah. Forward, to, forward to seeing the future and uh, for you as far as, you know, what what else you you get up to maybe you'll be loop hero maybe it'll be something new uh oh i'm definitely going to cap off loop hero but uh my apex time is definitely going to be largely probably like when i want a console game i want a console game i don't know how do you feel about that is it really just the game that hooks you or is there like i'd rather have a controller in my hand versus i feel good sitting down at the at the computer hmm. i am like sometimes I get a flash where I'm like, oh, I, I want to play Loop Hero and I could just right now on my laptop and it would, mm -hmm. you know, a mouse is nice for that game, but not not required, not something like FTL where you're going to suffer without a mouse. Sure, um, absolutely. But I uh, mean, there are moments in Loop Hero I've been playing a trackpad. Um, mm -hmm. I mostly do not play that game trackpad. I, I have ground out a little bit of Loop Hero recently. There are definitely moments where like, especially early on the map and you're trying to get things to a corner and it's actually totally fucking miserable on the trackpad. <laughs> Yeah. Like as long as as long as you're like not trying to get to the last like four squares in the corners, mm -hmm. you're fine though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's more game to game with me. Like uh Yakuza like a dragon has got me hook line and sinker right oh, now. Yeah. Like the battle system has blossomed really well and it's charming. And you know, my my misgivings from the beginning of the game are are sort of in the rear view now. Um, you know, I'm not beating up nearly as many homeless people in the game, which, uh, you know, was always a, a feel bad kind of thing. I mean, you know, that would just be a recurrence. If you decided to replay, you'd have to confront that all over again, but it's yeah. at least that narratively speaking, it's at least allows you to move past it. Yeah. I think Yakuza games for me, at least are, are one and done. Yeah. Um, I'm on chapter 10 of 15 and I think okay. I'm, I'm pushing like close to 50 hours. Oh yeah, um, that's good. I'm really that's taking cool. my time, soaking up the ambience. Sometimes just walking around the city in first person, you know. Um, but yeah, I cannot imagine wanting to ever replay uh, these these games. I mean, which will make an interesting question when eventually you get to putting them uh, somewhere on a list. Uh, you know, Indeed. it's uh, as as we've been progressively kind of bending, modifying, and in some instances breaking our own criteria from the outset of our of our rankings. Um, you know, uh, I'll be curious to see how that factors in. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, we have a fancy new uh, theme music for the game ranks, which uh, unfortunately you won't hear until this goes up. But uh, trust me, it's apropos. <laughs> um, I'm like, I love the question that's now in my mind is, are you going to cut this part of the conversation? I don't even know. No, nope. it depends on how much we ramble today. Especially not since you just invoked it. Now I've, I've got to leave it. Now it's all got to be in there. It's got to be in there. And now my mind is just running. Did the music already happen? I don't know. Oh, shit. Is it happening right now? No, it's only two seconds long. And here we go. Welcome to Game Ranks. Um, Moses, I believe you've got uh, a 16th game for me today. I do. My 16th game is uh, out of the freaking blue. I, it wasn't on my unranked list. Um, but I was like reflecting on other games that are on my unranked list. And some of them are childhood favorites, games that I spent a lot of time playing as a kid. Uh, most of my childhood gaming at home was, uh, you know, on the computer. And uh, we started, I believe, with a 2E. I think we had a borrowed 2C in the house, Apple. 
Apple IIe, mm-hmm. Apple IIc. Very different Apple computers from the modern Apple computer. Uh, not just because these were five and a quarter floppy drives, because that was the technology of the day. I mean, that was just computers at that point. Um, but uh, also because Apple back then was like the most hackable, open, like the ethos of Apple was that you should have control and, and ownership of your machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you couldn't really imagine a further drift in that regard. No, certainly not. Um, you know, I was like eight to 18 in the time that we had Apple computers, or maybe 10. <clears throat> so eventually we got the computer that I probably did most of my childhood gaming on, which was the Apple IIgs. The 2GS was the crossover between Apple's Mac products and the Apple II series. Um, and I've probably mentioned that previously on here. The 2GS was like known for being like, oh my God, this computer has amazing graphics. And indeed it did compared to the computers that had come before it. Hmm. Um, what came out at like the same time or a similar time in the 2GS was the Amiga. Okay. And the Amiga had graphics that like, for the most part actually smoked any Apple computer. But then the original Mac came out around that time too, and eventually everything moved to Macs. Uh, but meanwhile, the 2GS was, you know, it had a three and a half and a five and a quarter drive that we could plug into it. So we had access to old ROMs on like the older Apple II stuff. But this was a new game at the time that I think, I think I got it on five and a quarter discs. It might've been on, on three and a halfs, and it probably took several. You had to like swap discs out. Mm-hmm. This is a big difference between console playing and like playing a, a remotely comparable game. I, I still haven't even mentioned the name of the game, which is, I'm, I'm loving the buildup because I'm not going to have as much to say about the game itself. <laughs> um, but um, but it's like, yeah, you got get to a different part of the game and you'd have to like swap out the disc. Uh, there might've been some degree of install at that point too. Like hey, you have to install this much of it, but that's just not how computers were built. Um, and honestly, I mean, if you think about it, it's also not how consoles were built, right? Like the Nintendo and the SNES, it wasn't like you were downloading some portion of it or not downloading, copying some portion of, of that ROM onto your hardware so that it could run faster and run light. No, everything was running off of the media. Right. All of which is to build up to the game Thexter. Thexter, okay. Thexter, and you're going, what the fuck's a Thexter? What uh, the fuck is a Thexter? Is he a, uh, a serial killer with a lisp? <laughs> oh, but that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> no, Thexter is like a robot. Okay. Can transform into a fucking jet. Shit. Because that was the jam. This is totally like Transformers era, GoBots era. Yeah. Um, and so this game was mind-blowing to me. It played a really crappy, like 8-bit version of the Moonlight Sonata when you were booting it up. <laughs> and then it had this theme music that played that my mom insisted had one note that was slightly off true. It was like a little bit flat. Because I played this game a lot, and the computer happened to be in her bedroom, which was a way to kind of control the amount of screen time the kids were getting. Um, I mean, I, I don't feel shy about asserting that that was a factor. It was also probably a really good call as far as like, it wasn't going to go in the living room and it was a way to have it be a neutral space. That was not my room or my brother's room. So you know, relevant factors, parenting considerations that I would not have thought of, uh, as a child. Um, so Thexter is like, it's a side scroller. Uh, I wouldn't call it a platformer because even though the robot could jump, um, you, you could transform into a jet as well. Um, and you have like a laser beam and a set energy tank that you kind of start out with and your, your energy is reduced by firing your laser beam and by your shield, which is essentially taking damage when you come into contact with enemies or anything else that damages you. Mm-hmm. I am 
quite certain I never beat Thexter. I'm also certain that I got to at least one of its bosses. And I did have to refresh myself on this. I picked uh, picked up a quick YouTube video on it. Um, and the bosses were really actually just kind of like cramming a bunch of the enemies together into a kind of concrete shape that was an obstacle you'd have to get by. Um, really, all of the enemies were very... I, it kind of drives home something that was actually true about a lot of, of games and, you know, arguably still is that, um, you know, enemies are really just kind of environmental obstacles that move a lot of the time, you know, we've gotten significantly more sophisticated from there to where we can have more AI with more agency and things that move in more meaningful ways. Um, but like, if you, uh, think about Goombas or, you know, booze or anything else from a Mario, like essentially they're just parts of the environment that are moving around, right? Um, that make trouble for you. Some of them are a little bit more sophisticated than that, but especially in like the earliest games. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's really what's going on in a side scroller. This is a piece of the environment. It moves in it and it hurts you. Yeah, I guess. Yes. I, I feel like I want to push back on that in some way, but I, I can't really put it into words so it's hard to do but yeah. my point is that like you, they didn't have a lot of tools to work with and so like right. i'm making an extremely reductionist statement but like in these crude ways they managed to create worlds where we put a lot more into these things when all they had was like a basic movement direction a basic you know program dictating you're going to go left or you're going to go right until you bump into something and you go the other direction right or there's hammer no brother is going to like jump up and down and occasionally throw a hammer Right. There's like, no, there's no AI. There really you know? is no AI. So they're not that different from the environment, except yeah. that they damage you. Mm -hmm. And some parts of the environment could damage you too. Right. Um, well, I mean, Thexter is really, now that I'm looking at it with these glasses on, like everything in it is very much just environment that moves around and hurts you. And so it's, it, I remember it being pretty brutal. I remember sinking many, many, many hours into this game. Uh, it will probably not hold this high on my list in the long run. Um, but for now that robot that could transform into a goddamn plane, uh, and shoot a laser is definitely my number 16 game. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, or even excellent. <laughs> excellent. Oh God. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, I, I started it. I started the puns, um, for myself, uh, also coming in at number 16 is bit trip beat on oh, nice. the Wii. Oh, wow. um, we're, we're, we're both uh, dropping into side scrollers here. Yeah. Uh, Happy accident. What a game. Um, similar to Res, like I was like head to toe goosebumps the moment I started playing the first level. Oh, wait, because... I was thinking of Runner. Sorry. No, Bitrip Beat is actually. Uh, yeah, that's like the, the Pong. It's the first one, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Pong. Yep. Oh, man, what a game. Yeah, go on. Uh, and, and yeah, every everything you do is synced up uh, with the music, you know, hitting the dots back and forth. And it it it's designed so well that it it creates almost this moving mosaic that that you're that you're watching um and it had a co-op didn't it you know i think it did now that you mention it um i don't i don't I know if i remember if we played pass it, play with that or if we played co-op i think it had a co-op that we could yeah play. i believe i believe it did actually it would maybe shrink both of your paddles mm -hmm. and then yeah that's um, what i'm remembering yeah um but the the controls were were great because you really need a fine degree of control while also being able to make large sort of jerky movements. Yeah. And it was all in the accelerometer in the Wii remote. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so you could hold it, you know, with your in, you know, your two fingers and your thumb on each hand and just gently rock it back and forth. 
to get those really precise things, or if you're going to jerk to the corner, you know, you can like slam it up and down. Violent kind of uh, motions. I feel like this is a game you would have described as buttery. Yeah. Controls. Yeah. Controls were were quite buttery, and the game eventually would would try to trick your brain into thinking that there was going to be another dot there that you had to hit back. Um, and it, it would do it in a really interesting way. It would first teach you the pattern and mm-hmm. then the game would visually lie to you, but the pattern would be the same. So uh. you would have to ignore what your eyes are telling you and go with what you knew eventually was, was the correct way. Uh, that's epic. And it got smarter and more insidious and to where looking at the screen is just like madness eventually. But if you know what you're doing, you're, you look like a, a genius, you know, hitting, hitting all the, the dots back. Yeah. I mean, this is a true rhythm game for sure. Mm. Well, I guess going back to the previous conversation on that, I mean, I don't know. It's a game that's rhythmic. Um, the inputs that you're making don't have to be in a rhythm per se, although they will be to an extent on their own, I guess. I don't There's know. This one's in the middle question ground question here of whether um, missed or extra. There's a question here of whether extra movements are being allowable makes something not a rhythm game, right? Now, I mean, I, I, I'm fully with you on the notion that Res is clearly not a rhythm game. Mm-hmm. Because even though it is a musically driven game, um, you don't have to be in the right place at the right time. You don't have to hit the rhythm consistently, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Bitch Rip Beat, you, you, you do, but there is room, especially on early levels, to fuck around, to be in the wrong place and to still get to the right place. Yeah, yeah, I think I see what you mean. So I guess, I mean, a game that neither of us has um, mentioned yet, but is... Uh, apart from uh, DDR, to me, one of the like most essential rhythm games is Elite Beat Agents. Mm-hmm. And it will eventually wind up on my list because I had such a delightful experience with that game. I yeah. really, truly love it. Um, but that's a game where if I'm remembering correctly, if you hit the wrong button, it's a strike against you. I believe so. Yeah. And I assume I've never really played DDR for more than like five minutes that like any misstep, maybe if it's on its most generous mode, you're allowed to make missteps. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's been a while. So, but I, I don't, I believe you were penalized for, for missteps in general. I know later um, on, you definitely are. You have to like be a hundred percent. I've watched high level DDR players do their thing. And if I can get a hold of my colleague, Chris Holden at some point, he'd be fun to, uh, to have on the pod, especially if he still is doing gaming i'd be a little surprised if he wasn't but he was geez <laughs> one of those one of those people where you watch them do ddr and you're just like i don't even know what i'm seeing mm-hmm. but to bring it back to uh the trip beat yeah i mean it's interesting it's i'm challenging my own assertion now it's much more of a rhythm game uh than res but is it a rhythm game I, i'm not sure actually yeah it's it's in the middle there maybe uh Maybe we'll have to come up with a new new classification. Um, my uh, my final sort of fond memory of of Bit Trip Beat um, was the very first time I had met uh, Grant and Bethany of uh, Tuesday Fun Club and and Roller Derby of of those era of that era and Tuesday Fun Club era. Yes. Yeah, I was over at Bethany's place in like 
the sticks wherever that was. Um, and she New happened Glarus? to have. Sorry, wasn't she up by New Glarus? Oh, it was Broadhead actually, which Broadhead. is out there by New Glarus. Yeah, out in that direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she had that game, and they it was too hard for them. And I was like, oh, well, I can beat the first level. And then I had essentially a crowd of strangers like cheering me on in the living room. Nice. You know, as I as I bang out the first level with relative ease because I had played it so much. Um, and I was like, wow, this, <laughs> I would have never guessed that I would be able to show off in this way with these people on, on our first visit. So it was fun. Hey. <laughs> how, how to make friends uh, with video games. Right. <laughs> um, it's been a, a, a while since we've done it. So I was wondering if you could run down uh, your list so far for us. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Dark Souls Remastered is coming in at number one, and based on our previous conversation, uh, I can't remember if it was on uh, pot or off, um, I may well wind up with Dark Souls PC later on the list. Mm -hmm. But Dark Souls Remastered up top, followed by the Tetris Effect. Number three is now Nintendo Ice Hockey, and I do feel good about that. Portal at number four, which is a little bit of an oddity um, in a sense. I, a lot of multiplayer games on here, although it's followed by We Love Katamari. That's my top five. As we get into the bottom five, so to speak, we've got We Love, uh, <laughs> we've got We Love Katamari, followed by We Love Katamari, followed by We Love Katamari. No, just kidding. Number six is Spelunky, then SSX Tricky, uh, Team Fortress 2, Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, and then Warlords uh, on the Atari. Um, I don't have the Atari part noted, but uh, again, I played it like once in the arcade and I was like, oh, this is terrible. Um, Rocket League, as we get down below number 10, is rounding out number 11. Carcassonne, specifically on iOS, then Ocarina of Time, Mass Effect 2, Beyond Good and Evil, and Thexter. 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 Again, it's not going to hold that 16 spot, but I was like, I just had this moment. I was like, this needs to be on this list. This game is too important to my gaming evolution. I spent so many childhood hours playing it. So what about you, felt... Paul? What do we, uh, we got going on? Yeah, uh, that's kind of how I felt about Bit Trip Beat. I'm like, it's I just I, I want to put it on like I, I can't necessarily defend that it's this high, but it needs but it's time to get it in the list needs right? to be there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, starting uh, at number 16 and counting down, we have Bit Trip Beat, Animal Crossing, Res, Super Mario World, Sonic the Hedgehog, Metal Gear Solid, Eco, Final Fantasy X, Super Mario All-Stars, Link's Awakening, Dark Souls, uh, Super Mario Kart, Mario 64, my top three of Final Fantasy IX, Ocarina of Time, and of course, Chrono Trigger. And of course, Chrono Trigger. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, with that, we will press ahead into our next segment of the show, What I Love About. Moses, what do you got for me? Oh my God. This is not something I'd anticipated, but it's come up in the news in the last couple of days. Um, eventually, I'm going to just stop having a pretense about the fact that I'm a political junkie and um, that I'm going to like, oh, we never talk about this on the show, but we do whenever I feel like I really need to say something political. Um, or in this instance, when politics and gamer culture slash internet culture collide in the most fantastic, fucking hilarious way possible. So did you know that Donald Trump tried to launch a social media platform. I had heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. So first he supposedly launched a social media platform, but it was just a blog. 
Right. And then it didn't really get much of a following and he kind of angrily took it down, which was hilarious. Um, but then it gets better. Or in this case, it gets getter. The social media platform he launched is apparently called Getter, G-E-T-T-R. And I would have completely missed that this even happened. It's a Twitter clone, of course. Sure. Right? Because it's his favorite format. Um, And I would not have noticed that it happened, except that there was a huge fucking hack uh, where a bunch of user data was seized. And it's been confirmed that it's actually actual user data. Okay, great. What does any of this have to do with games and what I love about games? What I love about games is the absolute perverse fucking weird gamer culture that leaks its way into a story like this one. Before the hack had even happened, what do you think was the content that was like overtaking Getter? Um, Was it like Gamergate stuff? No, no. Think something that is both much dirtier and much more pure than Gamergate. Hentai? You're really close. (laughs) It was Sonic the Hedgehog porn. It was fucking furry porn and especially Sonic porn. Yes. People were just getting in there and they were tearing it up, just posting obscene Sonic porn all over Trump social media platform. And God damn it, I love gamers. I love it when trolling is put to what is for me the most just possible purpose. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's something that to the outside world, to us, we go, yeah, of course, Sonic porn, that's the thing. I mean, come on, if, you know, if you're in this space, you're not, you're aware that people have things about a pregnant Sonic that like, this is, there is an expansive, like very expansive, it's a gateway to freedom apparently for a lot of people. That part I kind of picked up more recently, but it was like, oh yeah, well, of course it is. But yeah, I mean, okay, right. Rule 34, everything, right. Everything rule 34, but especially Sonic. So like not a real surprise, but the fact that that turns up and is the specific (laughs) waiver that overtook Getter. I mean, God's bless you gamers and other weirdos out there. Um, Just carry that torch. It is beautiful. It should burn brightly and in many, many, many colors. And many, and we hope the Sonic family has many, many more children. They will. I mean, invariably, right? I mean, in the fandom, they already have. Right. Wow. And I am certainly biased, of of course, but the name Getter, it just doesn't sound good. G-E-T-T-R, really not good. Okay. Yeah. Really, I mean, really I, I get it, but, you know, yeah. I get it. <laughs> but. Yeah, I get it. Well, and it sounds like he's still got this fucking, like, Hillary Clinton is still living rent rent That's, That's really what it sounds yeah. like, right? And I'm just like, oh, you, you sad, sad man. It is just unfortunate for all of us that you were the president. Word. But uh, yeah, Sonic porn for the wow. win. For the win, indeed. Um, I gotta, <laughs> gotta, so tell me, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I got to look at my notes here because it's uh, it's my brain is just full of of obscene uh, foxes and, and hedgehogs now. Um, right. As it should be. Uh, bringing us uh, full circle to the, the most wholesome of places. Uh, what I love about Minecraft Oh, is uh yeah, is, we needed this uh on <laughs> point they used to call it um what they call it a unicorn uh oh god damn i can't remember anyway <laughs> um what i love about minecraft is the ability to get lost within the world of minecraft and what a rare thing that that is uh for games for the most part like 
even if you're exploring in a world, you generally know where you are, you have a map, you may have waypoints, things like that. Um, and you can acquire those things in Minecraft, but they're not a given. Like it's relatively difficult early on to yeah. make a map, uh, get a compass to make a map with a, a little icon on it for yourself. And I've had countless times where I went off on a little expedition, became lost uh, from my main base and maybe slept somewhere so that my respawn was not at the main base and would wander for for days, like in-game days and also day after day in real life, you know, logging in and just being heartsick, homesick for for the Minecraft home and not feeling like you can really want to start over. And it's like, I just got to find my home. And then you'll see a torch in the distance and you'll get your hopes up. But it's like, no, I just came through here once and it's a torch. And it I just happened it to put that torch here. Yeah. This is not part of the, the path that I'd actually laid out. Yeah. And you'll be looking for landmarks, uh, you know, oh, this rock face looks a certain way. And, you know, I don't think I've ever been permanently lost. I think I've always found my way back. But that feeling of, oh, you see your rows of torches, you see your, your house all of a sudden in the distance. And what a magical feeling. And it's, it's a feeling that is powerful and uniquely video game-esque. Like, yeah. because video games are about navigating a world most of the time, if not virtually all the time. Um, and it's kind of, I kind of wonder why more games don't give you that, that option to be truly lost. I suppose many players wouldn't ever want that, but there are all kinds of players who want all kinds of weird hardcore experiences. So why is there no, why, why isn't there more becoming lost in a game? <laughs> Sorry, got really off base with weird hardcore experiences. Um, no, it's a good question. In it, like, especially given where we're at, uh, you know, Minecraft is. I'm like, how old is Minecraft? Thirteen years old or something? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. I mean, um, and there aren't that many games. So that that kind of is a, a good point of reference for. I certainly certainly there are previous games where you, where one could get lost although a lot of the time it might have been in a context where you shouldn't be getting lost it wasn't the designer's intent like mm -hmm. that's actually like a, a level design failure that you're getting lost rather than um you know the the intention of the game um or like the lost part of it is really tightly designed as like this is a somewhat confusing level again back to level design right mm -hmm. uh, intended to be confusing up to a certain point but that you should master it uh you should get a hold of it i mean lost woods mm -hmm. you should figure out whether through your own uh you know process of tracking this stuff or through a friend um what the series of directions are that you need to go through to get out of the lost woods um but minecraft it's very different from all of that it's organic mm -hmm. and that capability has been there for now more than a decade to design games that have more of that experience and uh, i am a little surprised in that context um, that there haven't been more games that have arrived at doing it in a way that feels internally consistent in the way that, like, I know the, the moment you started talking about it, I was like, oh, no, I actually know that experience in Minecraft. You've played it more than I have, but um, but that is not a foreign experience to me at all. And including that part of, like, do I just give up on my mm -hmm. original? I put a bunch of time into that. It's got a bunch of my resources there that are stowed there. And, I mean, for me, this is earlier Minecraft days, although that's also what you were invoking, so... The extent of a bunch of resources there has kind of gotten a little bit deeper since then. Right. Um, 
but still no it's um it's a really uh it's it's definitely a special experience um i dig it yeah right on uh, well let's uh, move ahead to our next segment of the show tell me about and moses why don't you tell me what i should tell you about Oh, you want me to go first? Gotcha. <laughs> I was like, wow, this got convoluted real fast. Um, so I just came up with this as, uh, you know, we were doing our pre-show um, and I was like, do I have something for today? Well, I think this would be kind of a fun one. Um, tell me about a piece of media, something you read or watched or et cetera, because of a game. Hmm. So, you know, there is a game that you played and for one reason or another that led you to, and obviously I'm sure there's more than one instance of this, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I am putting you on the spot, so you got to dredge up a one instance of this. Right. Uh, that's a fascinating question. Um, I've I've certainly aspired to that more than I have followed through. Like the the Witcher novels um, come to mind because I do find that to be a fascinating world. Yeah. Um, you didn't watch the uh, show, eh? Um, I watched the first episode. I think. Uh, and it seemed authentic and but i'm just i'm yeah i'm so picky when it comes to tv and that one clearly didn't cut it for this question so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it doesn't necessarily need to be a specifically transmedia thing either uh you know it could be an associative thing that that you think yeah. like oh you know it's you know what um just... what comes to mind uh is an old lucas arts um adventure game called the dig and oh, it was about this it's been you know a long time since i've played the game and then subsequently read the book but uh i believe it was set on the moon there were these uh you know astronauts there and they find this um site where there's this these ruins and eventually all kinds of crazy stuff happens and it was such a cool unique adventure game and and sort of a you know a soft sci-fi kind of story yeah. um and then i ended up buying the book and i i still vividly remember like it was a large uh hardbound book but it was like very light as well huh. i just have that that one memory of it and that's uh, a cool sense memory of like this tome that you would expect to be like weighty and it's it's not yeah and I think I read it twice um, and I would recommend it to people who ha hadn't even played the game or anything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's the one that, that for me stands out the most. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I had a feeling I was like, you know what? I could skip the segment in terms of question for you today, but I was like thinking about, it, I was like, Oh, here's kind of an interesting one. This will definitely bear something. And I mean, that's cool. That's definitely um, not a LucasArts adventure game that I ever played and there is a handful of them that i did but i'm not even sure i've ever actually heard of that one yeah yeah I, I remember being pretty captivated overall by it you know it it was a setting and a story that i hadn't experienced that much of it at that point absolutely and i mean i've got to just give credit where it's due that uh that shop put out some amazing work yeah you know not all of which i again have touched obviously um but uh but in many instances, games where even if I didn't personally play them, uh, have had a resounding impact on other gamers or even other, you know, other developers. So mm -hmm. right on. Well, uh, as far as for you, would you tell me about a time when a game has frightened you uh, a great deal or the most frightening 
experience you've had in a game? It's the Resident Evil dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is hands down. Uh, I was playing it on GameCube. It was the first RE game that I played. That's three, right? Is is it three or it's not one? They remade one as well. I mean, there have always been dogs. It was maybe the remake of one on gamecube that's kind of what my guess would be that sounds right that sounds yeah right. yeah that's almost that that's right um and it's funny because the level of graphic fidelity now just doesn't hold up mm-hmm. um and i've got a second story i'll i'll hit on too um which is more obvious and current and certainly with level of graphic fidelity like the gamecube re dogs would not frighten me now but the timing of that moment is so goddamn exquisite mm-hmm. it's so well done and you mentioned it recently with village in terms of how they still got it as yeah a, yeah in terms of like development practices of being able to set you up to get you just calm enough to spring something on you that makes you fucking jump out of your seat and panic and die mm-hmm. i mean like because that is definitely what happens like you, you're like okay i'm starting to get a little bit of decent sense of the controls of this game I feel like i can aim I'm going to be okay. These dogs burst through this window. Oh God, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Oh shit. Oh God, they're, they're biting me. I'm dead. (laughs) Absolutely. Definitely. What a sweet moment. (laughs) Um, but as far as a more contemporary moment where a game has frightened me, uh, I gotta go with the blood starved beast. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Bloodborne, for those of you who don't have the context from the moment that I say that 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 name and you go, oh, God, the Bloodstarved Beast. Um, in a, a not um, uncommon move for FromSoft, they put the, you know, the entrance to this particular boss fight at the bottom of some stairs. <laughs> you have to descend in, in a chapel. Again, whether it's the bottom or top of stairs fighting in chapels, not an uncommon thing for, for FromSoft games. Um, the Bloodstarved Beast is hideous. It's this horrible flayed creature mm-hmm. and it is stalking you. Like other bosses come at you and they fight you and they want to trounce you and it gets your heart pumping and whatever. But the way that the Bloodstarved Beast moves and the way that it covers distance to attack, it is stalking you around mm-hmm. the cathedral. And it definitely, like, it is scary. It is a scary fight. It's designed to be that way. It's designed, you don't want to get got by it. Mm-hmm. And getting got by it is just be, being got by any other boss in the fucking game or any of these games. You know, you die, you respawn, you try again. But there is something extra scary. And if I recall correctly, it's been it's been a while since I've uh since I've dipped into Bloodborne. It makes a terrible noise too, I think. Yeah. I mean, again, I not, no not totally uncommon yeah. from soft things. There are things that make terrible noises, but it like it makes like some kind of horrible, kind of almost pained sound. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's that's my two four for uh, for 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 your telling me about like the Bloodstar Beast is just truly it's a terrifying boss, and like again, the level of graphic fidelity does not hurt the fact that you've like snuck down past these werewolves climbing on walls and all of mm-hmm. that, and then you encounter this horrible wretched pained evil creature mm-hmm. um and it stalks you and eventually uh and then it turns ravenous into like phase two or phase three Ugh, or yeah which is just a brutal hard part of the fight but at that point you're in it 
it's right. like not so much scary anymore as uh, by, by that part, once you've gotten past phase one of it. But I do feel like um, confronting it in phase one, getting over the fear of just how creepy it is, is like the first part to being able to get past phase one of that fight. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. It brings to mind my my encounter with Vicar Amelia, who is such oh, a hard, such a hard boss, and he's just brutal though. Like, yeah, very very fucking brutal. But at the time, and I don't know how I, I thought the only option for volume control had to be within the software itself, and I was playing with headphones, and I had them oh, set too loud, but it was my only option, and it was too loud, and it was late at night. And I'm just trying over and over. And I remember finally beating her and my, my pulse is just pounding and so stressed. And like, uh, and now I'm just hankering for some Bloodborne. It's been, I have not played that one as much as, as others to be sure. Yeah. I mean, granted that pulse pounding thing is one of the things I love about from soft games. Mm -hmm. Like I actually like, I really am delighted when a boss fight gets me to the point when my pulse is accelerated. It's, it's a really good experience. It's, um, you know, it, at the very least, you know, your fight or flight is engaged and it's a video game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, they have a real knack for making it so, so intense. Yeah. So, you know, blood star beast. Uh, yeah. The Vicar Amelia wasn't as scary for me as the blood star beast, but that was a brutal, brutal fight for sure. <laughs> I hated her. And then she could heal. And I, I love to hate or hate to love like how she would heal. Like I remember she has, you know, she's a giant beast and she has these big paws and yeah. she would like grasp them together and, and kneel. And then she would actually be vocalizing, but it was like this. Yeah. Speaking of scary sounds, that is actually genuinely pretty light. And then you see her health bar going all the work of the past five minutes being undone. You're like, God yeah. damn it, Vicar Amelia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't remember if you or somebody else gave me the hint on that one, that fire, like, hey, yep. a giant hairy boss. Because that's the, like the only way to, to disrupt that cycle. I mean, I know there are like hard mode videos out there of somebody taking down Vicar Amelia without, without using fire, but uh, mm -hmm. fuck those people. <laughs> Just a reminder, the rest of us suck. Right, right. It's leveling for me because a lot of other people who I think are good, they actually suck like me compared to those people. <laughs> well, good stuff, man. Um, yeah. We'll go ahead and, uh, and move along to our next segment on the show, which is Paul with your baseball update. Um, not a ton to go over this week. We are in the off season. Um, I just thought I would mention, uh, the future of the league. Um, so we've been in the expansion era for, uh, you know, a, a number of months now, um, with teams e-density going up and consumer attacks happening. Um, but it was announced that they will be, uh, coming back for one more season. And after that, we'll be going to another siesta. Uh, which yes. means a longer than two week break. Um, but what's going to happen uh, before the siesta, but after season 23 wraps uh, will be, um, there's going to be a legends versus the vault uh, sort of exhibition match. Okay. And legends are currently players who have some amount of ego between one and four. And okay. you get ego by being named an MVP. Once you hit five ego, 
you become legendary and you get vaulted. Teams okay. can then gift each other replicas of that player to use uh, in the next season. Uh -huh. um, so it's going to be these two teams, but one of the uh, one of the legends is none other than Parker McMillian, who uh, there's this ongoing story now in the the library that we're slowly uh, piecing together, where basically anytime Parker moves uh, to a different team he like incinerates a team or a team gets oh. vulnerable to be incinerated. Uh, yeah. But to make that not happen, he has this object, this item, which cannot be dropped or lost, uh, which is, uh, it has containment on it, meaning that he cannot, uh, he cannot travel anywhere. Right. Um, so great. Okay. There's no problem. Well, in this exhibition match, there are now players who have the trader mod, and there are, are also thieves guilds established in many of the stadiums. Uh, in fact, I believe all what? of the stadiums. Because uh, it's where did thieves guilds come from? Uh, well, we voted. Well, you could you could add it as a renovation to your to your okay. ballpark. Um, okay. And then we have a, a rule called ratification where I believe if 18 teams build something, then the entire league gets it as well. Okay. And that's what's happened with thieves guilds. So now I think what they're setting up is the possibility of Parker's item being stolen and him then being able to roam once more and perhaps destroying the league, destroying parts of the league, uh, or maybe it won't happen at all. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but uh, some truly exciting uh, moments to look forward to in the next, uh, in the next season. Um, the only other thing I'll mention is there are still new teams being uncovered. Well, old teams uh, that are long gone. And one of my favorite new teams is the Mallorca whales, <laughs> which is a, a lovely, little little pun there brilliant um, yeah in our theme of punnery this evening it definitely lands right um there let me look up there was one more um oh they're okay they're not incinerated so i don't see them here but it was another uh another great pun um so yeah that, that's pretty much it for the the baseball update i think uh you know in a, a couple of weeks definitely look forward to jumping in with you and it seems uh, like the opportune time especially before yeah. going on to that uh that big siesta yeah yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, with that, uh, we'll move into our final feature of the show. It's Make My Game. Coming this week from Bad Deer Games, Android Pogo Machine. Ooh, now that's an enticing name. Hmm. Android Pogo Machine. Bad Deer. From Bad, Bad Deer. Bad Deer Games. Bad Deer Games. Okay, okay. Android Pogo Machine. Man, that's pretty far out. Yeah. It's like the opposite of the problem that we've often had with uh, this particular, um, you know, activity. Uh, where it's like, okay, that's too fucking obvious. This is obviously a, you know, platformer with a giant knife. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Android Pogo Machine. So a pogo, uh, you know, it's a stick that that jumps from thing to thing. Um. 
I and, want this to be about manufacturing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, yeah, sure, we could take the easier route here. Um, and I mean, granted, we've gone in both of these directions previously. We could take the easier route and be like, well, it's an Android on a pogo stick, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, sure, sure. I mean, that could be, and that, that'd probably be a pretty fun platform or whatever. But <laughs> I like the idea that you're trying to run some kind of a business or factory that involves manufacturing these highly intelligent robots that hop around <laughs> their purpose their purpose is to be perfect perfect pogo jumpers yeah so is it a um like a physics driven i'm not sure if you've played like sumatory dreams or anything like that but where you I need to sumatory dreams yeah so a thought I had, what if it's Pogos that are for androids? Yeah, and okay. These... The, Android, the androids are not the Pogos. That's good. That's important. Well, it, it could be, but 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 uh, yeah. Um, That's like but, a meta level where it's a Pogoing android that you need to make a Pogo stick for the one that already has it built into itself. Sure. Right. So these androids all have different uh, shapes and different, they're made of different materials that have different densities. So yeah, you have to account for the mass and the balancing uh and they each ooh they each have their own ai as yeah. well and the pogo stick that you need to design needs to be able to f- fit in with their ai so that they can then navigate this uh this course on their own you're moving in the in a very similar direction to where i'm going which is essentially like um <laughs> there's a physics semi kind of aspect to this game for sure right um <laughs> but i like the idea that it's also essentially like a business management simulator mm-hmm. where you have different markets of these different androids that you're trying to satisfy with the constraints of your pogo manufacturing factory but like this is a pretty deep game because one part of it is that mm-hmm. you've got like the lab component where you do get to test out how the different products are actually working but you maybe have really limited constraints you don't get to test things to perfection mm-hmm. you don't get to spend all day you know i mean like this is like the kerbal space program of pogo sticks mm-hmm. <laughs> right like yeah and and yeah you release the the next model and then you've done your own minimal research your constrained research that you can do once it's on the market and there's a thousand androids using it, then you're going to see all the weird outliers. You're yeah. going to gain more insight into how the product actually functions. And the game has the like it has the simulation space on the one hand for your product testing facility, mm-hmm. but it has this broader simulation space for how the product plays out in the world, where you do actually get to kind of see uh, maybe the androids actually this is how they get around, regardless of like this is just the the modality for the society of androids is the equivalent of cars for us. This world has been def- like built to work with pogoing. Pogoing, and also it could be like uh, a renewable energy source for the animals. okay. Like sure, it can be, that's, it can maybe be that's part of why they rely on pogo right, stick. Right, right, and the rest okay. of the world has followed suit, uh, or at least the the world, the part of the world the androids will navigate has. And, and so you can have conditions that arise after after product release. You have like weird shit that'll come up, like product defect. Or um, you could have, uh, you know, a product that's wildly successful beyond 
what you'd scoped and what your factory is able to produce, or you can have to weather recalls. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think the management and economic simulation part of it is a vital part because otherwise you're just kind of, you know, pie in the sky and you get to make pogo sticks and see how they work. Right. But it's like, like, okay, this material is very expensive, but I need it to, for this particular usage with these androids. So, uh, yeah. And we can introduce like increasingly absurd conditions, like an Android that needs to pogo on the ceiling or something. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You have like some kind of gravity compensator, like you get like increasingly bizarre physical requirements to meet different po- product needs for different Androids. Or like a double ended pogo, like one bounce on the floor, then you bounce off the ceiling back down to the floor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. Yeah. Just a wide variety as the game kind of advances. And I could definitely see that being somewhat procedurally run where like on a different playthrough, you have different market requirements that get introduced. You don't know exactly what you're going to have to deal with on this playthrough as far as like the complicating factors. And, you know, once you've done it enough, you're going to start to be able to anticipate what some of those needs are. Um, And where, you know, and you get into like that classic, like balancing your R&D dollar investment versus like your new factory build investment and all that kind of stuff in order to meet the pogo needs yeah. of your android society i like it i i think yeah i don't know what else i would add i i was really intimidated by it at the beginning and it took us a, a minute but i think we we cracked it once we hit our stride this is it's like going places it's it's, it's going places with a springy sound right <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of going places uh it is just about time for you and i to head out back into the wide world out there and uh say goodbye so as always moses uh thanks for being here with me tonight as always thanks for hosting paul my pleasure and uh for everyone out there thank you for listening to this week's episode of paul and moses play if you have a question a comment or suggestion feel free to email us at paul and moses play at gmail.com we'll see you next week and until then Never never stop stop playing.